This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and I'm delighted to welcome back him, Pete George. Pete, great to have you back on the, on the pod. It feels like it's uh, it, it's been, it's been far too long. I know it's only been three weeks, but far too long, pal. Far too long. Yeah, but it was nice to be able to actually listen to one for once that I haven't already heard. So I thought the last one was really interesting and gave a really nice um, insight into basically how the academy was set up and was running and and why it was so successful and and what's happened since absolutely I, for anybody who hasn't uh, who hasn't listened to the sort of back catalog over the course of this summer um i do strongly recommend going back and listening to the mike Sp- mike scott pod um it was it was so insightful i mean uh, the guy's just done so much work with our youth players over over the last few well over the few years until he left uh, the club and yeah, he he just gave so much insight into how that operation works, why so many people left the club. Um, also gave so much insight into the players who are now breaking through into our first team, like people like uh, Reyes Cleary, people like Josh Griffiths. He talked about Taylor Gardner-Hickman as well. So real insight into the young players that are starting to make an impact on our first team and young players that we will probably talk about quite a lot today because they've been heavily involved in in pre-season as we all know we are that 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 rather unwanted statistic of being the only championship club at present to have not made a new signing but what that has done is it's allowed for quite a lot of minutes in pre-season for quite a lot of young players and some of them have showed up particularly well and we'll get straight into that because i was i was at burton yesterday now before we start talking about the burton game i do want to put into uh, put uh, put it out there that i categorically do not put any value at all on results in pre-season i've worked at the club as uh, many of you know and i get uh, I, I get banter for constantly reminding people on twitter um i worked at the club for 8 years so i i, I was around the players through many pre-seasons 
I, you know, it is it is a fitness exercise. It is a sharpness exercise. It is a chance for managers to experiment with different players, different partnerships, different shapes, and inevitably the the results suffer quite often as a result of that. And nobody at the club particularly worries about uh, about that. I mean, yeah, if you go out and get uh, and get absolutely panned 5 nil by by somebody and don't show up probably the manager will pull you in the the next day and uh, and have a few words and I, I and I do remember one occasion I won't name the the manager or the group but I do remember one occasion a manager sitting sitting down the players in training the next day and basically telling them that their performance in 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 a pre-season game had not been good enough but I don't think from what I've seen of Albion in pre-season that is in any way shape or form the case I think the application has been there the effort has been there but you know we've we've changed entire elevens at half time in 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 a number of games we've we've turned out a lot of deeply inexperienced players and you so you can't read too much in, in into the result i think if if we'd turned out our best team i think we'd have won every game that we've that we've played so far probably um and also winning pre-season games don't doesn't mean anything i i, I go back to um uh, August two thousand and five, we we beat um, we beat Atletico Madrid in a preseason friendly two nil. The, the team that had Fernando Torres up front, and then went on to get relegated uh, utterly dismally in in that pre- uh, Premier League season. So what you do in preseason means absolutely nothing uh, as to what happens in the, the in the coming season. However. What you can do is you can pull out individual performances. You can uh, pull out where players are, where they're developing, especially with young players or players coming back from injury or players coming back from loans and have they developed a little bit. And I think we saw um, a bit of that yesterday against uh, against Burton, Pete. And I have to say, to to kick off, the i'm i'm going to i'm going to start with the positives and then and and then good news first and bad news later i'm go, i'm going to then move on to the onto the negatives and i have to say i thought we dominated the game all uh, all the way through i thought we were comfortably the better side look we 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 lack a finisher no nobody's denying that everybody knows that we we lack somebody to finish off the chances and it it's becoming a little bit of a a joke, a running joke on on social media and on the Albion WhatsApp groups I'm in and stuff like that. That uh, that that Albion go close is probably the most tweeted thing that from the uh, from the Albion Twitter account because that's that that is all we that is all we see. We see a lot of a lot of Albion chances being missed, and yesterday was was no different. So we are crying out for that finisher in there. But then what went on around that? There were some serious positives, and I have to say. In midfield, when you look at the experienced players, I thought the energy of Malumbi was just incredible. I mean, for we almost take it as a given with Jason Malumbi that you are going to get energy, energy, energy. But to to be at the to be at the level of energy he is at at this stage of pre-season is just phenomenal. It speaks volumes for the lad's fitness, for his endurance levels, and I mean, I think. People should be uh, should be absolutely terrified of facing Jason Mullumby this season because yesterday he was absolutely everywhere, including in your head. He was fantastic. Um, John Swift was was just pulling all of the strings. I thought in that second half he absolutely dictated the game. And what was also noticeable for me, Pete, because uh, in the second half, Albion were attacking the Albion uh, the, the the end where the Albion fans were housed on the terrace at, uh, at Burton. And 
Adam Reach pulled up moments into the into the second half and had to go off, which meant Jamie Andrews went across the left, Tom Fellows came across the right, and Mo Farr was uh, was uh, in the in the striker position. So Swift was in the in the ten with three extremely inexperienced players around him, and it was quite quiet in the Burton ground because Burton did not bring many fans whatsoever. It was a pretty miserable get, uh, miserable day, I have to say, and it's it it, it was audible how much John Swift was talking those young players through the game. And I thought he was doing an absolutely phenomenal job of just instructing Mo Farr when to press. And, and we did nearly score a couple of goals from Mo Farr pressing the goalkeeper in the and the centre-halves. He was telling Jamie Andrews and Tom Fellows when to tuck in. It, he showed real leadership through that uh, through that game. And then, But then the third one in that midfield role, and this is the one I want to dwell on a little bit, was Alex Mowat who I thought was superb. He was brilliant for Matt Phillips's goal. I thought the outside of the boot ball to, to, to Darnell Furlong, if you haven't seen these, they are on the Albion YouTube channel. I do encourage, encourage you to go and have a look at the highlights to appreciate what I'm talking about. But if you haven't seen it, it's a little outside the boot ball to Furlong. Furlong gives it back to him in space, and then he threads a lovely ball through to Matt Phillips, who, by the way, brilliant finish into the top corner. There was a lot of comments from Corbran in the week about Moat really talking him up, saying he can play in the six or the eight. But what he does in either of those positions is that he gives us really different options. He basically said, I wouldn't ever want to play Malumbi in the six because I feel like I restrict him too much. So basically, he basically said, you cost lose my six. Malumbi's my eight. But he feels he could play Moat in either of those roles and he would give us something extra. And after seeing Alex Mowat yesterday, seeing him cool, calm and collected on the ball, seeing him playing nice passes, looking like he enjoyed, he's enjoying his football again. I think he could play a big part this season, Pete. What do you think? Yeah, I think he could. Um, I mean, he was quite restricted under Ishmael because everything was so direct. He wasn't really given a chance to show that he can be calm on the ball and, and pick out passes and be accurate with them. It was mostly just you know get the ball forward as quick as possible so yeah it didn't give him a chance to really showcase what he can do on the ball I think under the few games that he got under Bruce towards the end of the Ishmael season was I think he performed quite well if I remember correctly but yeah I think it seemed to largely depend on who Moat had alongside him because it it seemed if he had someone immobile like like Livermore alongside him he he really struggled but I mean he had some of his better games with Taylor Gardner Hickman alongside him because he seems to he seems to almost need that energy in in midfield alongside now yesterday he had he had Yukoslu but Yukoslu is such a different beast to to Livermore in that he's so intelligent he just screens in front of that in front of that back four so well and he just allows Moat to go and play and I don't think Moat ever had that under Ishmael did he? No and it probably gives us options to play three in there as well if if he really wanted to pack out the midfield you've got usually Mullumby and potentially Moat as a midfield three um yeah I mean I, I'm not, I don't think we will start the season with that because I think we'll want Swift Central but I think if the games call for it then it gives us a bit more options there um and it's just, I think it is just nice to have to have different options because he's he's very different to Mulumbi. Doesn't have that same energy, but he's probably a bit he's a better passer than Yakuzulu. Um so yeah, it gives us options to kind of form the, the balance of the midfield for and kind of adapt to, to different games where we need different 
different players. Um, so is that what you took away from Corbrand's comments on uh, in the week? I, I know I, I know you've read them because I sent them to you. Um, so is that? And it was interesting because he was sort of giving little hints as to how he sees his central midfield forming up this season. Is that is that what you took away from those comments? Yeah, I think I think he was basically just saying that he gives us more options and he'll kind of from well what I took is that he'll kind of pick his midfield depending on who we're playing um and those options are I mean if you want a bit more someone in the six that's a bit more comfortable in possession than you could um then maybe you play Moa if we're going to see a lot of the ball um but then if you need somebody that's going to be stronger defensively obviously you've got your Kuzulu. um there's probably not many players better in the league at being the, having the defensive side of being a defensive midfielder um and then Mullumby is obviously very different in that he's going to be up and down the pitch all game for the full 90 minutes and he's going to get into the box and um, probably get on the end of a few chances as well. So, I mean, and there's the other aspect of Moat is that he'll probably get you a couple of goals a season from range, especially if teams are going to sit deep and you can have a bit of space on the edge of the box. So, yeah, I think I'm not sure we'll have a nailed down midfield pairing um, for the full season. I, I do think it might kind of adapt to, to different games and different situations in games. So. Do you see him staying now? When we, we, uh, having read those comments in the week, because uh, I t- I took those comments from from Corbran as a really strong indication that that, that Moat will stay. Yeah, it sounded like he he liked him a lot, um, and liked the fact that it, he is different to the two that we've already got that have been playing. Um, so it seems like he will stay. I think he's got one year left on his contract, hasn't he? Um, so he has indeed. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, it'll be difficult because obviously, if he stays and he might look to run out his contract. Um, but I mean, even if we sell him now, you can't imagine we're going to pick up any any money for him, really. Because um, as we always say, there's no championship clubs that have got enough money to to pay cash for players. Um, so you're probably just going to save on his wages. But if if that's all you're going to get, then he's probably it's probably better for the club to. Val, just Val could Val could reunite him with Livermore in midfield. Oh well, yeah, that is. <laughs> I mean, when I saw he'd gone to Watford, I did think maybe Mo would be following him since he's only got a year left in his contracts. But Corbran seems to like him from everything he's saying, yeah, and, and with good reason as well. And, and and on and on the basis of yesterday, by the way, I really like him as well. I my 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 take on on Alex Moat has always been that there's a player there. I I just felt I felt a bit sorry for him. Um, I, 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 I under Ishmael because I felt like. I felt like a lot of players gave up on the way that Ishmael was asking us to play the pressing. And I felt Moat kept doing it, which left him exposed um, and left him looking quite stupid at times. Pete, I don't know what, I don't know what you thought, but I, my, my take after sort of like when it all started to unravel with, with Ishmael, when he started falling out with players, when, uh, when clearly the lads weren't buying into what he was asking them to, to do. I felt Moat was still his captain on the pitch and was still going and doing that. But the problem, the the problem, as we all know, is if you press alone, you end up looking like you're having a bad game. When in actual fact, what you're doing is you're carrying out the manager's instructions. But nobody, but but pressing is a team game. And I thought I I, I felt Moat ended up getting almost hung out to dry by some of his by some of his teammates. To be honest, in 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 the sort of second half of the Ishmael reign if you can really split it in two and I do split it in two because you've got that amazing start and then you've got where the results just dried up and I I, I felt 
I actually felt Moat was a bit hung out to dry by his teammates. I don't know what you think. Yeah, like you say, if you're the only one that's going to be pressing, then there's going to be a lot of options for the man that you're pressing to to find an easy pass, and then you're suddenly out of position, which, yeah, probably um, didn't help kind of the perception of Moat. Um, But then also with his ability on the ball, if you're a very good passer at the ball and you're asked to be extremely direct, you're not necessarily going to show your capabilities of, of keeping the ball and, you know, playing passes under a bit of pressure so I mean it'll definitely be interesting to see how he gets on um, because we're playing in such a different way now under Corbin than we were under Ishmael so it's you're going to see a lot. Do you you feel we're we're even developing from because again in those quotes um, in in the week Pete there was there was a bit of a hint from Corbin that he is evolving his own style a bit away from what we did last season and interestingly he, he did that massively at Huddersfield, didn't he? In the summer between uh, between the summer where they obviously uh, where they'd stayed up in his first season into into the um, into the season where they ended up making the playoff final, he really evolved the style of play. He's ne- he, I, I know I know people he got a bit of stick towards the back end of last season saying he was. Um, he was stubborn. It was another Val. He wouldn't change his style. Blah 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 blah. I don't see that with Corbran. I I just felt he was restricted by a complete lack of options and also probably a lack of time with the players, with the games just being so on top of each other. I think we're going to see a little bit of an evolution of his style this season. Yeah, well, from everything you see and hear from him, he's, he seems to be very just very thoughtful about the game and what he's asking his players to do. So I'd be surprised if he's just kind of sat, gone on holiday over summer and, and not thought about football and not really thought about it in pre-season. I think he'll be you know, really studying what went well, where can we improve and how we're going to do it. And I think there will be adaptations. Um, we did a bit last season, but I noticed in the highlights that we seem to have the fullbacks talking in really narrow from the highlights against Burton. And Peter scored from quite a narrow position for a fullback. Um, outside the box, and when Furlong played his pass, his yeah, one two. Yeah, mate, but I mean, I mean, I'm not being funny, right? I could have stopped that one. Jamal Blackman's had an absolute nightmare there. Yeah, he has. But I mean, if you just look at the position that Peter's taken up, it's it's probably not where traditionally a fullback would be. If he's going into the final third, usually they'd be overlapping and kind of out wide. Um, you know, chalk on the boots and go around the outside of the the winger bees. He's tucked in and um, kind of added an extra man in that middle of the pitch and let Phillips keep the width. So I think that could be something that we see a lot of next season. Um, and yeah, I, I think there'll be other adaptations to what we saw last season from him. And it's just having a bit more time in pre-season, isn't it? Um, whereas, you know, previously we were playing two games a week and when you've got those two games, you've got days to recover. Um, you've probably not got a lot more time to and a lot of energy for the players to actually take in too many adaptations. So hopefully having this preseason with the players will see a very um, a very well-coached team and maybe a few different options than we did last year. Going back to the Burton game, um, and just uh, there's a couple of young players' performances that I, that I want to highlight. Um, and we'll begin with the second half, uh, unconventionally and unless you're watching American Beauty, I suppose. Um, we'll, we'll we'll begin with the, what happened latter. Um, and Tom Fellows, I think it, 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 anybody who's been on Twitter and, and seen the comments of Albion fans who are at the game, 
I, d- I don't think I am making an acute, uh, an astute observation in picking out Tom Fellows as an outstanding performer in that second half. I think everybody saw it. He was tremendous, Pete. And for my eyes, my when when I saw Tom Fellows come on in a couple of League Cup games and 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 even in a couple of league games uh, um, a couple of a couple of seasons ago, my issue was my God, a breath of wind will blow this lad over. I thought he was. I, I just thought he was. He looked small and frail, and I and I thought this is this is a lad who's going to get bullied by Championship defenses. I don't know whether it's the loan to Crawley and playing a bit in League Two where you are going to be coming up against some pretty big, strong, nasty defenders, but he looked a man yesterday. He looked a grown-up. He he seems to have added a couple of yards of pace to his game as well. He's absolutely lightning. There's no two ways about that. He's got a trick. He can go past someone he's but he looks strong now he looks like the kind of guy that can go shoulder to shoulder with a fullback and he's not going to just get nudged off the ball he he looks like he can give them give them problems and i'm not going to draw too many conclusions from 45 minutes of a preseason game but he is highly rated he has already had a loan he does play in a position as well i mean he can play in either the right or left wide positions and he actually played both briefly because he was he started on the left until Adam Reach got injured because uh, Corbrand started the second half with inverted wide men and uh, but then when Reach got injured he switched um fellows over to the right and uh, and Jamie Andrews uh, over to the came on on the left and I uh, I I just think he he it's a position where we need players Reach has obviously got injured he hobbled off uh, in that game, Dean Garner hasn't been involved the last couple of games. Now, whether he stays at the club, we're not sure, but we're told it's due to injury that he's not been involved. So that obviously does put a big question mark over whether he's going to be available for the start of the season. Basically, in terms of senior players, that leaves us with Wallace and Phillips, nothing else. So for me, at this moment in time, Tom Fellows is an important player to be around the substitutes bench because we just haven't got any other wide options. Dean Garner's not fit. Reach, I'm not quite sure the extent of the injury. I'll be honest, I haven't read Carlos Corbran's post-match quotes yet, but he obviously pulled up with a with, with an injury and had to, uh, and had to come off. I th- and and we saw we saw at the end of last season how quickly those options can be decimated for us. And also the problems that we have when we play players on the wrong side that they're not accustomed to we tried to move too much around to fit Mark Albrighton into the side Tom Fellows is a player that can comfortably fit into either the wide left or wide right positions and he look he looks ready he looks ready for an opportunity to me and people might say okay it's a little bit early to be saying that I I don't know I'd I'd involve him I think I would have him in and around things certainly unless we bring other players in that would push him down the pecking order. Because I always go back to to Kamar Roof under Alan Irvine. And like we started that season with basically no wide options. And yet Kamar was still not being involved. And we ended up letting him go to Oxford, where he was absolutely flying. Then he goes to Leeds. And he's gone on to have a good career since then. Obviously, now he's playing at Rangers as well. And... 
you just think that that possibly could have been so so different for Kamar if he'd just been given just you know twenty minutes at the end of the odd game under Alan Irvine in games that we weren't winning anyway and we were lacking options in 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 a lot of areas. And I, I think I think we've kind of come to a similar sort of point with with Tom Fellows where he's had a loan. Yes, he could go and have another one, but when we, when we're short of options in that area and when he's playing in games and he's showing up well, why not why not give the uh, the lad an opportunity? Because wide uh, uh, wide attacking areas are areas where you are going to throw players on for twenty minutes. It's not like having a backup fullback or a backup centre half. You're not you're just not going to bring these players on really for short periods of games because you're not going to change your defence if you if you are one or two nil up or something something like that. you're not going to change your defence. So and you're not going to bring them on if you if you're chasing game either. So they they're just not going to get a lot of football if you keep them as backups unless the first choice gets injured. Whereas if Fellows is sitting on the bench, he can probably fairly confidently say last 15 to 20 minutes of a game I might get a run here. And I think he could show up well Pete. What do you think? Yeah, I mean it looks very um energetic and very directed. You know, he wants to take people on, which is always exciting for a young player. And I mean, sometimes it's—I don't know—sometimes young players just do it more more often and kind of maybe aren't as scared of taking people. I, yeah, I don't know. It's a strange one, but he looks kind of raw and that he wants to kind of impact the game, which is always exciting. And I think last season he played a lot of um, a lot of time in wing back um, for Crawley, so he's probably probably learned a bit about the defensive side of the game as well there, which is, I mean, always useful. And Corbran likes his wingers to, to track back and do the defensive work as well. So hopefully we've got quite a well-rounded young winger there. And yeah, from the highlights I've seen of pre-season so far, he, he's definitely looked exciting. And I won't be against him being in the squad. Um, obviously, you don't want him to be your first-choice winger, but we've got Jed Wallace and Dan Garner and Phillips and you know, we've got plenty there, so having him as backup is is could be very useful. Um, everyone knows the financial situation and how difficult it's going to be to bring in good players for the, at this level. Um, so if we can use our young players that are in there, the kind of standard that we need, then it's all the better. And um, from what you see from Tom Fellows, it looks like he's, you know, he's going to be pushing for a spot on the bench. And if he gets there, then you know you can expect him to maybe to get a few minutes. And that can, you know, it'll only help his development, especially at championship level. So he's one that um, I'd be quite happy to see still at the club come the end of the the transfer window. Um, well, just just know, on it, that, Pete. I mean, there's been a lot of clamour in the last week with, with, with while Amari Hutchison's been heavily linked with with Ipswich of, oh, why aren't we in for this lad? Why aren't we in for this lad? Or Albion have missed out on him. And and from what from what I hear, we were never in for him. But then, you know. You hear various different things, but from what I've heard from the people I speak to, we were never in for him. And then, but then people say, "Why, why, 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 why aren't we in for Amari Hutchison? Good young player like that." Blah blah blah. But if you've got a player like Tom Fellows, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying Tom Fellows is Amari Hutchinson's level, because I don't, I'm, I'm not sure he is. I, I, you know, I think there's a fairly good argument to say that a lad at Chelsea who is pushing for a championship loan is probably at a higher level than a lad who we loaned to to Crawley last season but i think i think this is the point that people miss because there's such a clamor to win 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 and get promoted and finish in the top 6 and all these sorts of things that you end up developing 
other team's players instead of your own. Now, if we've got, uh, I, I think you've, you've, uh, there's a balancing act to ha- be had between the two because we're going to come on to talk about, uh, uh, well, actually, probably more next week, uh, but maybe perhaps a little bit this week as well about, you know, look, we need some options at fullback. And I would be happy to see us actually go and, um, uh, go, go and loan some players from the Premier League for those for those areas. Why? Because I don't think Ethan Ingram is ready yet. I, I actually was quite impressed with how he developed um, when I saw him yesterday, and I, I think he looks stronger. And I think I think he looks a much better player than the one who got bullied at Derby in the League Cup last season. But I don't think he's ready. And I think if you put Ethan Ingram in now, I think you'd probably end up destroying the lad. So I would rather we went and got a on loan Premier League fullback because I think playing Ethan Ingram would destroy him and we'll come on to talk about Zach Ashworth. Obviously he's not rated because that that the deal that has been done would not have been done if Zach was rated as a potential to come through into the Albion team. So fair enough, you go and borrow somebody else's players to fill those gaps. But where you've got a player who is ready or ready enough to play some sort of a part, I think you have to be clever. And even if you can get a better player on loan from a Premier League club, why develop somebody else's talent when you can develop your own? Okay, an Amari Hutchison type might probably lead to, I don't know, say hypothetically, six more points over the course of a season. But developing Tom Fellows might lead to four, five, six seasons of him, maybe seven million pounds in revenue like we got out of Dar O'Shea. The bigger picture, the bigger gain with developing somebody like Tom Fellows, and this goes on to the next player that we will talk about as well, which is Caleb Taylor at centre-half. Why bring in a wide right or a centre-back and stop the pathway at this moment in time for Tom Fellows and Caleb Taylor, who I believe both are ready to play at least some part in this team and stop the development of your own talent, who could either A, become a big player for you in years to come, or B, become a very saleable asset for you, and instead develop a good player for a Premier League club who they can then either play themselves or sell for a lot of money. Why not do that for yourself? Even if it means that the player you're playing is not quite as as of a higher quality as the one that you could get from the Premier League. Pete, I invite your thoughts because, because there'll be some people there saying, no, we need promotion to the Premier League. Therefore, we need the best possible quality. Therefore, even if we can get, if we can get a slightly better player from the Premier League, then forget Tom Fellows uh, and his development. I don't agree. I think the bigger picture with us as West Bromwich Albion is, I think, I think we've got to stop gambling. I think we've got to stop gambling everything on getting to the Premier League and start building a sustainable model as a club. And part of that sustainable model has got to be pathways and opportunities when the time is right, when they are ready for our talent. And I think that needs to happen, it needs to happen now. And I think it needs to it needs to be represented by opportunities given to the likes of Tom Fellows, the likes of Caleb Taylor, instead of going to the Premier League and getting loans for young centre-halves or young wingers who would get in their way. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's quite a difficult one because obviously we do need to get back into the Premier League. If we don't this season, then I think it could be a little while before we do again. But at the same time, you can't throw everything at, at it because, well, it could A, just ruin us financially and B, um, you may be better off just kind of starting to get the structure into... Well, also, that's what we've done in the last two years is throw yeah. everything at it and it hasn't worked. Exactly. So you and we haven't be even made the playoffs, let let alone let alone got into the Premier League. Yeah, you may be better off kind of putting in the um, plans and things you need to set yourself up for a bit more of a, a long term attempt at it. And that's, I mean, it'll involve using a lot of our youth players because the academy has and does produce some some very good players, um, and they're a lot cheaper than than going into the transfer market and and buying them. Um, but if you want them, them to stay around and think that you know it's a good place to be as a youth player, then you've got to show them that there is a path into the first team. And that's probably going to be by showing the current crop of youth players that are kind of on the edge of it that they can get game time. I mean, if you if you bring players in, if you bring in a winger um, from the Premier League, like a under-21 winger from the Premier League, instead of giving a bit of game time to Tom Fellows and you do the same for centre-back um, instead of Caleb Taylor then, you know, the 14, 15-year-olds in the academy now are going to be thinking, oh, hang on, no chance that I'm ever going to be able to break into the first team because, you know, when I'm on the edge of it, they're just going to bring in a player that kind of takes my spot. And, yeah. And, um, maybe... uh, and just to be clear, Pete, we're not we're not saying give, or I'm not saying, because, uh, you know, you're obviously off- offering the, the fair balance to this, but I'm not saying give every youth player a chance regardless. I'm saying if a player shows you they are ready don't block that pathway. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the, the ones that are ready and are good enough or very close to being good enough to be in the first team. You've got to give them the pathway and kind of, yeah, show them that there is a chance that they're going to get minutes. And if they perform well, then, you know, they can start to push to be irregular in the first team. You know, that kind of bleeds down to the, the rest of the academy as well because the players that are younger will see that Maybe there's a chance for them in the future as well if they're good enough. It's obviously you're not just going to fill your side with under 21 players that aren't good enough because you, you know, you'd be in the relegation spots. But when they are good enough, you've got to give them a chance. Um, and long term, it's it's what we need to be doing. Um, but it's about it's you know it's getting that balance of long term and short term. Short term, we need to get back to the Premier League. Um, but you said I think you said six points. Someone like Amari Hutchinson might get you. I'd be very surprised if it's even that high. I mean, I've not seen him play, but I think you'd have to be a very, very good player to be worth six points in a in a season. Um, I think you'd probably be looking more at one or two, to be honest. Um, but again, it's yeah, I, and, one and or then, two points. But, but then, but then the argument is one or two points. Is that really worth? sacrificing a guy that could like I say Dar Roche was go was almost certainly going to be leaving on a free until he played those games at the end of the Billich season three years later he leaves for seven million quid is it worth blocking that pathway for one or two points which let's be fair if you're good enough because we're probably not going to be good enough to make the top two. We're just not going to have the depth of squad. So if you're good enough to make the playoffs, one or two points actually shouldn't make any difference anyway. Is it worth blocking that pathway for a guy who might end up being the guy that you sell down the line for seven, eight, nine million quid? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, even if we did, I know not even really linked with him, but even if we did bring Amari Hutchinson in, 
can't imagine him being a first choice player at the start of the season. He might work his way into it, but for the amount of game time they get, I think you'd be much better kind of giving it to Tom Fellows and um, letting him develop. And as you say, if it if everything clicks into place, then three or four years time, you might have a a very val- valuable player on your hands that you can move on and, and make a nice profit off. Um, but then it's also got the effects that you probably don't see is that, as I said, the, the younger players in the academy might stick around for a bit longer and trust the club, knowing that there is a pathway for them rather than, you know, moving at a young age and maybe going somewhere like Villa, who we've seen taking a lot of our youth players. Or um, Arsenal or for... Chelsea, you know, and and, and as you say, We've got to do something to stem that tide, haven't we? Because we've seen so many of them go out the door recently. Yeah, and why would you stay if you if you think there's no way that you're going to get into the the first team? Um, I think obviously when you there's interest from people like Arsenal, Chelsea, I mean Liverpool had Sinclair didn't they years ago, um, and Villa recently. They're all Premier League clubs, and you know it's going to be a tough fight against them. So I think the the very minimum you've got to show is that there is a pathway into the first team because then. You know, once you get to the first team, there's probably going to be even more interest in you. Once you've got actual minutes, senior minutes under your belt, you become probably a bit more attractive than if you've only played under 21 football. So, yeah, you've got to you've got to stand out somehow against the any big clubs that are going to be circling the youth players. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And moving on to the other young player that I want to talk about just after his display against Burton yesterday, and that's Caleb Taylor, Pete. I have to say, I thought he was outstanding. I I really did. Um, The flip side, this particular coin is going to have to talk, is that we're going to have to talk about his centre-half partner in the first half, Cedric Kipre, who I thought had an appalling game, was absolutely awful. And he just... He he struggled so, so much. And a lot of young players, that would have really impacted them. Part of the reason we went in 2-1 up at halftime, when both Kipre and Taylor, along with the entire 11 who played the first half, were, were substituted. Part of the reason we went in 2-1 ahead was because Taylor cleared up every mess Kipre created. I thought the maturity in his display was brilliant. I mean, you you asked me off air, Pete, did, did Taylor look particularly quick? And my answer to you was simple. He looked quick, but I'm not saying he was quick because the speed of his thought, his reactions, his ability to sense when danger was happening 
was phenomenal. And he seemed to be on the move before it even happened. I said with Tom Fellows, I'm not going to get carried away with one 45-minute display. I think I am going to get a little bit carried away with Caleb Taylor. I think he's one of our best two centre-halves at this moment in time. We will. I'm not going to steal the thunder too much from next week when we're going to go through, we're going to do our season preview and we're going to go through the whole squad and we're pretty much going to talk about who we'd play against uh, against Blackburn on the opening day and um, and where we think we need reinforcements and all that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to ask you to say who your two centre-halves would be against Blackburn, Pete. That's for next week. But on Caleb Taylor, I think whether you think he should start on the opening day or not, and personally at this moment in time I do, I think he's ready in a big way. And I think I think it's actually criminal if Caleb Taylor doesn't get some serious football this season. Yeah, well, he was supposedly excellent for Cheltenham last season in League One um, from the Cheltenham fans that I spoke to. And, I mean, the data definitely backs it up. I think I've got him as maybe the third best all-rounder um, centre back in in the league, which you know is excellent for someone of his age. Um, so you'd think he'd definitely be, um, you know, the kind of standard to make that step up to the championship. He's got a lot of things in his favour. He's a very tall, a very tall guy, and he probably needs to fill out a little bit. But you know that's understandable at that age, and it probably will happen. Um, but in terms of like the the data behind it, is he was ex- excellent in the air, excellent kind of in his defensive positioning, um, very strong in his duels, and he carried the ball forward quite well and was a goal threat in the, oppos- the opposition's box as well. So a lot of things that make a, a good centre back there. Um, and as we said with Tom Fellow, he's only going to develop with more game time at a higher level. Um, so I'd, I'd be very surprised if he's not pushing for that, that first spot. I had a look at who's played with who in terms of um, the centre-back centre partnership in pre-season um, and there's been eight halves of pre-season where it's been first team as play we've had five games so ten halves but two have been filled with youth players and three of those times it's been Taylor and Bartley that have played and then only once it's been Taylor and Keep Pro the other four times have been three have been a giant Keep Pro and one's a giant Bartley so you'd think that Cobran would want a centre-back, centre-back partnerships kind of playing with each other in pre-season and getting used to each other Um so if that's anything do, to go by, do you by, think Bolton next week will be very revealing as the uh, as the last friendly as to what he's probably where his mind's at? You'd think so, um, but then maybe he wouldn't want to give everything, give it all away to to Blackburn, who's obviously going to be watching. Um, so I don't know if it'll be the full kind of starting eleven that will play with each other, or maybe just kind of partnerships on the pitch that kind of play with each other, like the centre backs, for example. Yeah, you um, you would you would think though that the two centre halves that he's going to want to partner against against Blackburn will at least play some portion of the game against Bolton alongside each other, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd be surprised if we start the season with a centre back pairing that haven't played at all with each other in pre season. So Taylor and Ajay haven't played with each other. Keeper and Bartley haven't played with with each other. Yeah, I mean, looking at the kind of times that they've started, you'd expect it to be either Taylor and Bartley or. A giant keeper, um, so you know. Well, reading. I think, that, I think want, I'm but... going to have a mental and emotional breakdown if it's a giant Kipre, mate. There's just there is there's way too many mistakes in that centre half partnership because Ajayi made a couple of mistakes yesterday, and he made a lot towards the end of end of last season. I mean, yeah, obviously you go back you go back to the Rotherham game where he had an absolute 
horror show as well. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if they, they were, they were Corbrand's center half partnership just because Corbrand is such a low margin manager who doesn't like, doesn't like to take risks. And it seems like those two, whilst probably being our most, um, mobile center half pa- uh, partnership and certainly the two with the most ability to drive out of defense into midfield, would also be our uh, our, our centre half partnership with probably the most errors in them as well. Yeah, probably, but probably better on the ball than Taylor and Bartley. I mean, Taylor, from what I've seen, has looked pretty good on the ball, but Bartley's yeah, you definitely wouldn't call him a ball playing defender. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, the one that doesn't seem to have been played in centre back for the whole of preseason is our centre back from last season, Eric Peters. Um, Who's probably like he... the one that you'd expect to be nailed on to play there because he's the only left-sided one. Yeah, um, the only left-footed one. Um, so it's interesting that he hasn't he hasn't been played there. And you think if he's not played there in pre-season, is he going to be shifted in as the starting centre-back? Um, I think it'd be a bit strange if he did, but you know he's very experienced, and yeah, maybe, maybe he could, but. I suppose. I suppose the other thing is, though, obviously he did have. He did, maybe there was a plan to play him there in midweek, and then obviously he had, uh, he had personal things to attend to, and and therefore was unavailable. That might have just been a bit of a spanner in the works for Corbran and his plans, because I, I that obviously wasn't anticipated, was it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and as well as that, there's for Corbran, there's the difficulty of having four natural centre backs and. Um, Peters as well, making it five. So it's there's a lot of centre backs to fit into two positions. Um, if you are counting Peters as a centre back, but maybe we're reading too much into pre-season friendlies here, and we're going to be completely shocked on the first day of the season. Um, so, but in terms of Taylor, he's yeah, he's not going to be far away from starting. I don't think um, he was excellent at Cheltenham. You said he looked excellent against Burton. Um, you're only really hearing positive things about him and. Yeah, I think you, Corbram, be foolish to to not be kind of making sure he's he's close to the starting eleven, if not in the starting eleven. Just one argument that kind of goes towards Taylor and Bartley being our centre half partnership is that they aerially they are our two best defenders, and balls into the box seem to have been a bit of an Achilles heel for us. Um, in pre-season now, whether that's from open play, like the the back post first goal uh, for Burton um, yesterday, whether that's the two corner goals against Salford, or whether it's late in the game against Burton yesterday, where where Burton caused us a lot of problems from corner kicks, it does seem to be a weakness of ours. Pete, is that something that's that that, that is a bit of a concerning trend in pre-season? Yeah, I mean, you'd say so if it's regularly happening that we're conceding from balls into the box and corners then you think there needs to be some work done there um because otherwise you know teams are going to be picking up on that and they're going to be you know working hard on how they can create chances from balls well it into got the box. exploited at the back end of last season as well at times again i go back to that rotherham game yeah where jordan hugel tore us apart um if you want two center backs to help you there then you think bartley and um caleb taylor they're both very good in the air i mean a guy generally quite good in the air as well but Bartley's but he just probably... seems to have odd games like the Rotherham game where it all goes to pot for him yeah exactly so it's I think aerially if you if you want to send it back to to deal with maybe a very physical strike you're going to go with Kyle Bartley Ajay's yeah, despite being generally all right in the air he's probably better just 
clean clean up behind the defensive line with his pace. Um, so maybe we will look to start with Bartley if we are struggling, particularly struggling with balls into the box, um, just so that he can help clean it up. But Caleb Taylor was very good in the air last season, um, very strong, and he's got height on his side as well, and he seems to be able to use his body quite well to kind of climb up for the ball, um, as well as having been however tall he is, way over six foot. Um, so, yeah, if you if you're worried about that, then it could be there could definitely be a shout for Bartley and Taylor to start the season. Just moving on from the Burton game, Pete, and just getting into the the transfer business that has happened since we last spoke. Now <laughs> it's all been outgoing, unsurprisingly. Um, a couple confirmed, and then a couple more than a couple rumored to be going out. Now. We'll start with the confirmed ones, and we will uh, we'll we'll start with the with with the most senior player that's gone out, um, Carlin Grant leaving on loan to Cardiff. I have to say, just makes total sense to me. I I I, I didn't see Carlin Grant as uh, a Carlos Corbran player. He he didn't have a good season at all. Last season, you know, he he, he had um, he had the worst. Uh, he underscored his xG by, uh, by by the most of any Albion player. Underscored his xG by by three and a half goals. He only got three goals in the whole season. Um, and just as we spoke about at the end of last season, if he's not scoring goals, he doesn't he doesn't do anything really. He doesn't defend. His passing isn't good. His progressive carries are okay, but nothing special. He, he he's he, he's poor for shot creating actions. His expected assisted goals is dreadful. The, I mean, he it just never was going to fit into the Corbran uh, style of play. I don't think on his wages that we were ever going to be able to sell him. So I think to get a loan. Assuming, of course, his wages are covered, and you'd like to think they are, it. I mean, probably saving us somewhere between a million and a million and a half over the course of the year. I mean, that's just it's money in the bank, isn't it? It just it, it's just good. It's good business. Where it, where it, and it's it's always worth caveating this with Carl and Grant. Where where it was bad business was the structure of the deal. We if if you have to buy a player over six years, and I, I'm 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 gonna gonna actually lift from Chris Lipkowski on Twitter here because he's he was absolutely bang on. His his tweet, his exact words were if you have to buy a player over six years, you can't afford to buy that player. And he's absolutely on the money. Amortized payments are for clubs like us so stupid. People will say, oh, well, Chelsea do it all the time. Yeah, okay, but Chelsea have got a certain level of guaranteed income. They're never going to get relegated from the Premier League. They're probably going to be in Europe most seasons, and they've got wealthy owners. So Chelsea spread payments to avoid financial fair play. A lot of big clubs do it. West Bromwich Albion don't have that level of guaranteed income. You cannot spread your payments and therefore burden yourself with two and a half million pound payment for Carlin Grant every single year for six years and put his wages across that period of time, which are substantial because you honestly don't know where you are going to be because we start off signing Carlin Grant as a Premier League club and now we are 
a club that hasn't even made the playoffs in the championship in the last two years. It's never out the question. I mean, for a large chunk of last season, we were bottom. It's never out the question you could even tumble into League One and still be stuck with Carl and Grant. Six-year deals, six-year amortised transfers for clubs like West Bromwich Albion are ludicrous. They're stupid, foolish, foolish transfers and whoever put that deal together and there must have been some level of sign off from from Luke Dowling and my deepest sympathies to Sheffield Wednesday fans if he ends up going there as sporting director then whoever structured that deal and forget the player it doesn't matter who you buy it really I mean okay if it's a good player then you might be able to sell them sell them off but then you've still got to sell them off at a massive profit to pay off the rest of the transfer who you do not do deals like that as a, as as West Bromwich Albion as any club any club in the bottom half of the Premier League slash top part portion of the Championship should not be doing deals like that. It's ludicrous. The 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 departure of Carl and Grant on loan is good business by West Bromwich Albion. But what it is at this moment in time is making the best of an appallingly bad situation which we were saddled with by the people who were running the club at the point at which we signed Carl and Grant. And we simply never should have signed him. Yeah, I was. I don't disagree with any of that. But I just, I don't know, maybe I just had a hope in me that with a pre-season and Carl Grant having time to adjust the style that he might actually use Carl and Grant and get the best out of him because... As a side who did struggle for goals, the one thing that Colin Grant does bring is is goals if he plays regularly and he's, you know, enjoying his football. So I thought maybe we could do that and try and get the best out of him since he was such a... But you said a moment ago that Corbran likes his wingers to track back. I mean, is he is he ever going to tolerate a player like Colin Grant who simply doesn't do that? No, that's probably where the issue is. Um, but if you could kind of... That's what I thought, if he'd got pre-season to completely you know, come up with a new a new plan, then maybe you could fit fit Grant in because he does bring goals if he's going to play regularly. But... Do you think you could, even with a pre-season, do you think you can convince Carl and Grant to run and defend and track and tackle? Well, maybe not that, but maybe just kind of um, get the players around him, get him into a setup where he doesn't necessarily need to do that. The setup is there behind him to, to cover him from, you know, bits that he doesn't do. Um, but... I'm not against Gen- genuine, genuine question, Pete. I'm not trying to. I'm, I'm not trying to sort of like um, rain rain on what you're saying here, but just just a sort of devil's advocate. That do you think uh, Carlos Corbran is the kind of manager who builds systems around individual players, or do, or do you think he's he's a manager who just builds a system for the greater good, and players have to have to do the work to to fit into that? I think he's adaptable to what he's got at his disposal. So if you've got if you've got a player that's that like Harlan Grant will score you a lot of goals, but maybe well definitely doesn't have other aspects to his game and isn't as proactive in or as active in his defending as he as he should be, then if you've got no other options then I think Corbran would come up with a way to to use him um and get the best out of him because you know, goals win your games and if you've got somebody that can consistently score your goals then they're worth a lot of money and and you can kind of fit them into your team. But, I mean, if he's happy with the other options that he's got out wide, like Matt Phillips and Dean Garner... Um, or, he think, or he thinks he can do better in the transfer window. 
yeah, or he, or he expects to get goals from other places like Brandon Thomas Asante and um, John Swift and probably Molumbi coming arriving late in the box as well, then you maybe don't necessarily need to fit Grant into your team. Because I think he's, as I say, he's obviously got a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I can't think of the word, but a lot of things that he doesn't do is defensive work. Um, and he can be maybe a bit lazy in times, but in terms of wingers that are going to be goal threats, he's probably one of the, one of the most threatening in the league. Um, I know a lot of Albion's fans don't like him. And I'm not his biggest fan, but he will score you goals in the division. So um, he can be worth a lot to the club if they can get the best out of him. Um, obviously, the issue is actually getting the best out of him, but it might be very beneficial for him moving out on loan. If Cardiff can get the best out of him, then it will benefit us because say he goes and scores 15, 16 goals in the championship, he's suddenly worth a little bit of cash again and maybe we can move him on at the end of the season. Um, well, he'll be happy so, playing with his mate, won't he? Well, exactly. And it might be a good situation for him. It might just be the perfect club to have loaned him to if he's, you know, he obviously got on with Callum Robinson very well. Um, and if that can kind of spark him to score in a similar number of goals that he did in the Ishmael season, then he might have a few people interested in him come the end of the season, which is, you know, that would be perfect for us because we might actually be able to move him on. The other deal that's been confirmed is um, Zach Ashworth to Bolton, which is initially a loan, but then uh, has an option to become permanent. Now, the exact terms of that option obviously haven't been detailed and and we're not 100% sure on. But what is clear from the fact that it it, it says an option is that obviously it is an option in Bolton's favour because otherwise it would say obligation um, and the two are obviously two different things. So Bolton choose whether or not they buy Zach Ashworth at the at the end of uh, at the end of his loan. I have to say I'm a bit confused by the deal. I'm not necessarily against it in the sense of loaning Zach Ashworth out um, if he was being loaned loaned out to develop. What confuses me is the option to buy. Now, I've had a bit of back and forth with people on on Twitter about this, and people kind of misunderstand what I'm saying about this. I'm not saying that I massively rate Zach Ashworth. I, I haven't seen enough of Zach Ashworth to feel one way or another about him, if I'm honest. I, I've seen him a couple of times in the League Cup. Once he was very, very good um, against Sheffield United, I believe. And then once he was very, very bad against Derby. So I've seen, I've seen two full 90 minutes of Zach Ashworth and I've seen two completely different performances from the lad. I think those were the two games. I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. But either way, I've seen Zach play really well once and really poorly once. So I'm not necessarily saying he's he he's uh, he's a player that I think has a huge future at the club. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. What I am saying is I don't understand the deal because it, we, there's no power in it for us because the two scenarios are this. Either Zach Ashworth goes to Bolton and has a really good season and they take up the option and they buy him. In which case, the fact that we've set the value now suggests that it won't be that much. And if Zach develops, he may actually be worth more than the value that we've set. So we pro- we, we then undervalue him and under uh, and Bolton underpay for him, which is not good for us. The second scenario is that he has a bad season at Bolton, in which case Bolton don't take up the option 
and we're left with a player that has just underperformed in League One, which is no good for us really either. I just don't see that we necessarily win out of this. I understand the argument that we've got lo- uh, got wages off the uh, off the wage bill by loaning him out, but then Zach Ashworth really won't be on that much money anyway. So it'll be it really be a drop in the ocean. My my issue with it is if if we had sold Zach Ashworth right now, I could understand that. If we had loaned Zach Ashworth no, with no option to buy. I could understand that. And if we had loaned Zach Ashworth with Bolton having an obligation to buy, whether or not that that uh, that stated that uh, if they got promoted, they had to buy him, very much as was the terms of Keenan Davis's loan to Watford um, at the start of last season, I could understand that. I don't really understand the loan with an option to buy unless unless in the terms of the option to buy when Bolton buy him there is there is either a a, a reasonable sell on percentage for us if if he then goes on and develops at Bolton and they sell him for good money to a premier league club or potentially even a buyback sum in the in that I doubt either of those things are included Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but I I doubt it. Certainly, I doubt whether the buyback is in there. I just, as I say, I'm not I'm not against Zach going out. If the club don't think he's ever going to be good enough, then fine, sell him to Bolton or loan him with a with an obligation to buy. And if the club think he's going to develop, then loan him without any agreed fee. I just don't understand the deal that we've done, it doesn't make a great deal of sense to me, Pete. No, it seems like we're taking on almost all the risks by having him on, him on loan and Bolton have got the option to buy him if they want him, not the force to buy him or just selling him outright. And, you know, if he has a poor season, um, then obviously Bolton probably won't want him. And he comes back to us having had a poor season and probably won't have too many suitors from next season, whether that be another loan or permanent. Whereas if he has a good season, then obviously Bolton buy him for the agreed fee. Maybe we come back thinking, oh, we could have got an extra an extra couple of hundred thousand for him or whatever. So it seems to be, yeah, all the risk going our way and very little going to Bolton and it being more favourable for them. Um, that's from the outside looking in. Maybe maybe it would make a bit more sense if we'd get all the details of, of the deal and how the club perceive Ashworth in terms of will he how much he'll develop and et cetera. But yeah, it is, it is worth saying that, that, I mean, these kind of deals are often quite complicated, potentially even pages and pages. And, and we, we don't know what all the various clauses are in the deal. We, but, but look, all we can ever do is take things at face value with the information that we have. And just looking at it purely as an agreed amount, uh, that, that is payable next year. It doesn't make sense, as you quite rightly say, Pete. If there if there are additional clauses in our favour, um, then maybe it makes more sense. We don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but from what we can see, it looks like Albion are taking on on the risk of the deal rather than Bolton, which is probably how it sh- shouldn't be. Um, but if you look, well, at, as a um, championship club, you should have power over a League One club when negotiating a deal. Yeah, shouldn't. exactly, exactly. Um, but if you look at the is his data from last season, Ashworth, doesn't look very good at all. Um, but, I mean, I would caveat that by saying that he played for Burton, um, who, from what I understand, played quite direct and maybe not as... Um, didn't see as much of the ball as other teams, which, well, that definitely can hinder 
what you see in the data. Um, but he was very good in the air for fullbacks. Um, but the rest of his defensive metrics, he looks quite poor on, um, including defensive jewels one. He only won 53% of them, which is in about the, he's in the lowest 10% for players in League One. Well, fullbacks in League One for that last season. Um, even his, his passing figures aren't great. Um, I mean, as I say, he didn't see a lot of the ball. He's in like the bottom 5% for passes per 90 for fullbacks in League One, which might help to explain a little bit of this. But even accuracy, he was low on. Yeah, just various, um, his, Pass accuracy was 70%, which is in about the bottom 30%. Progressive pass accuracy is about, you know, he's about mid-table for that in terms of League One fullbacks. And his creative metrics aren't great either in terms of dribbles. Cross accuracies, again, reasonably low. Expected assists is very low for fullbacks. Um, he's not much of a goal threat either. Um, so it's, if you're judging him purely on, on that season with Burton and the data, it looks very bleak for him. Um, Maybe you look better in a side that's seeing a lot more of the ball and giving him the opportunity to do more. Um, then maybe you suddenly see that you know he completes a lot more passes and they're more accurate because he's got easier passes on. Yeah, I mean uh, last season at Burton, fifty-two point five percent of his passes were forward passes, which is in like the the top five percent in the league, which probably explains why his pack, pass accuracy was was so low. Yeah. He probably wasn't in favourable conditions to to look good in in the data, but players can look good in the data even if they're not playing for the best club. So it's it's not a perfect judgment on him, but yeah, from from what I can see, I can kind of see why he's loaned out and maybe not in the plans for the first team this season. Um, and if the coaches don't think he'll develop much further, then it probably makes a lot a lot of sense for a permanent deal to kind of be on the cards as well, but, I mean, the actual deal from what we see still doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, so, I mean, in summary, what we're basically saying is we can we can understand letting Ashworth go, whether whether that's on, on loan or permanently. We just we just wish we had a little bit more control over over the deal because we're not even guaranteed to sell him at, at the end at the end of the season if he doesn't do well for for Bolton. They just they just won't sign him, and then and then we're lumbered with a player that we don't want and his value's gone down so it doesn't make doesn't make a great deal um a great deal of sense uh, however you've got to you've got to say that um you know there's there's potentially always takers if you are looking to move to move players on um, <laughs> as has proven if we can find a buyer for david button and he's being he's being heavily linked with um uh, with a move to reading also been mentioned in dispatches that he might go to uh, to Sheffield Wednesday as well and then Nathaniel Chalaba um also uh, also linked with well heavily linked with a move uh, away to Israel to Maccabi Tel Aviv however in the Israel press there's talk that um Chalaba has been over there had a look and the, from the one report that I've read on social media, it says that he has um, he has security concerns uh, over living uh, over there. Um, he's also uh, apparently talked to Manor Solomon at, at Fulham. Don't know whether he doesn't like what he's heard, but he's basically been asked asked for a few days to to make his mind up. Now, couple that with the fact that he played the second forty five minutes against Burton. I just can't imagine for the life of me that we'd be playing a player who was about to move because why even risk him getting injured if if he's set to move on? So 
I think the button one might happen. I'm certainly hopeful that it will because he's not figured at all in preseason. Nor, nor of course, would I want him to. Um, he, look, he had a disastrous season last season. He was appalling. I'm not going to. I'm not going to start the David Button bashing again. You, anybody who's listened to this pod for any length of time knows what I, what I think about him as a, as a footballer. He's he's not good enough. And if we can move him on. That's fantastic. It's it's really good business. It's also good business, Pete, because uh, because uh, according to Transfer Marked, we have the the fourth um, highest average age of a squad in this division, and we've got a lot of players who are either twenty eight plus or twenty two and and lower. We haven't got a lot in that twenty three to twenty seven bracket, so. Being able to move out some of the some of the older ones would be would be good business. If we can, I think if we can move out Button and Chalabar, I think it's I think it's really good business. I, Button we've spoke about enough, and he, look, he's not he's not going to get past Griffiths if he remains at the club. We spoke about that on the uh, on the last pod that Pete and I did, and Palmer. He's not going to get past those two for the number one shirt, not anywhere near. And Chalabar, I mean, he just he just didn't contribute enough last season really did he let's let's be honest i mean he he played 609 minutes um he only wins 50% of his of his tackles um i mean managed four yellows in 609 minutes which is way way too many i just don't think he i, I just, he doesn't seem he doesn't seem up to it he doesn't seem he doesn't seem the player that we want and 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 we've we've already talked about the fact that malumbi looks at it Yukoslu looks at it. Mowat's come back and done really, really well. One player that we haven't talked about is Taylor Gardner Hickman, but he he scored two cracking goals against Salford and he looks at it. If you've got those four competing for a central midfield place, I just don't see where Chalobah fits into it, Pete. I think if we can shift him out, and fairly obviously if we can shift Button out, it's good business, isn't it? Yeah, Chalobah didn't offer much last season. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he was meant to offer. He- just didn't really stand out in any kind of any kind of way, um, and I think I'd rather have Alex Mowat pushing for those spots and Taylor Gardner Hinton for that matter than than Chalaba. So if we can move him on, then yeah, I think that would be um, be great, and it would probably save a little bit on wages. I don't think we can really expect much in terms of a transfer fee, but and it's the same with Button. Um, I don't think too much needs to be said about that. Uh, everyone saw his performances last season. But both so. both will be on okay wages, Pete. Because uh, I mean, Button was signed when we we're in the Premier League, and then uh, and then Chalaba was uh, w- was taken from a Premier League club. I mean, I, I believe he I, I believe he mutually terminated his contract with uh, with Fulham, didn't he? He wouldn't have done that if there wasn't a half decent contract on the table. Yeah, exactly. So, despite not really being able to expect any transfer fees for them, you're going to save a fair bit of cash in new ages, which does add up for a full season. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, financially, they're both going to be good de- be good deals for Albion, even if you don't bring in transfer fees. And yeah, they're both players that are going to be earning a bit of cash. But well, just, really just, be... just to put that in perspective, Pete, when, uh, just to give people a, a number, right? When we talk about saving a lot of money on wages, just to do the maths for you, any player that is on £20,000 a week that we don't have to pay anymore, for for an entire year saves us just just north of a million quid a year so whilst you might look at a player like for example grant going out and saying okay but we're not getting any money for him 
you get you get rid of Grant. That's a that's I'm I'm pretty sure Grant's on more than twenty thousand pounds a week. That's well over a million pounds saved, probably closer to one point five. Chalaba, I would imagine, is not going to be miles off twenty thousand pounds a week. Button maybe is a little is a little bit less. You let all three of those players go for nothing. And I would happily put my reputation on the line to say um, that that you have probably saved somewhere in the region of somewhere between two and a half to three million pounds uh, over the course of a year just by letting those three players go for absolutely no fees whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. It it does make quite a big difference without maybe um, without maybe realizing it. Obviously, you know, transfer fees get reported as millions and whatever but because wages are reported generally as as weekly then it's you maybe don't notice it as much as um the transfer fees so yeah it'll be saving the club money you know the club will have planned to have to pay out those contracts so it's in that respect it is actually kind of freeing up money for well hopefully future future spending rather than just money for you know the the running costs running costs of the club so the more players that you can shift out on decent decent wages that aren't going to get played because you know Chalaber and, and Button aren't. I don't think either of them would see many minutes if they did stop at the club. Um, you know the better the better it is for your your transfer budget, which um, I imagine started off as either zero or very close to zero at, at the start of the window, and hopefully. Well, the other the other thing we're saying, Pete, is that is that most uh, if you even if you're paying the full wages of a player from Premier League to a a young player, eighteen, nineteen years old, from I mean, even 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 probably a Chelsea or Arsenal, but certainly a bottom half Premier League club, they're not going to be on anywhere near twenty thousand pounds a week. So you might you might save twenty grand a week on Grant or say hypothetically speaking 18 grand a week on um uh, on Chalaber and maybe somewhere between 10 and 15,000 a week on on Button you could you can probably get two premier league uh, two players at least for each of those possibly even more or you could bring in uh, say you get rid of those three players you could maybe bring four or five loans from premier league 2 and still be a million pounds or more better off than you were before in terms of your wage bill. Yeah, and I mean, it works even better with loans because you don't have the long-term commitments to the contracts as well because, I mean, I think you're going to have to expect that Carl and Grant is going to be coming back at the end of the season and, and we're going to have to start paying those wages again. But if you're replacing him with a loan player, then, you know, as you start paying Grant's wages again, the loan player's gone back to their parent club, so you're not paying those wages. So... If we're using it to fund a couple of loan players, then it is probably quite a smart way to do business with with how the club is currently the current situation financially at the club. Hang on, smart business and West Bromwich Albion all in the same sentence, Pete. Are, are you on the right pod? Well, we've not actually been linked <laughs> with any loan players, have we? So, <laughs> yeah, that's that that's that's a good point. Yeah, well, unless unless you unless you believe the in the nose who seem to have a signing Deli Ali, but uh, but there you go. Um, you can read into what you like the fact that that is all the uh, all the discussion I'm going to give to that uh, to that rumor. Um, if there becomes something in it, we'll talk about it. But I've got to be honest, um, I'm not holding my breath on that one. 
And anyway, that will be it for today. We will be back next week with our season preview pod when Pete and I will go through the squad, analyse where we see that it is, um, talk about who we would be starting against Blackburn on the um, on the opening day. And the really big stuff, Pete, we're going to be doing our pre-season predictions. So uh, um, plenty of chance for us to make ourselves look very foolish and expose our complete lack of knowledge. Um, but but it takes 12 months for us to look completely stupid. So, you know, there's a, there's a nice little reprieve in there. But anyway, until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.